Oh my god, they're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog. He's got them shifty eyes. It was that convict Ironjaw, that rapscallion. I bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. That way. Blank is the killer. Hello and welcome to Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast where I, your digital ghost, Josh Baker, cover six new-to-me horror movies with a random spooky topic seven at the end. This episode includes camper kills, death hosting, and lichen bikers. Except my Zoom call for a quick seance sesh. We can talk about horror movies while we wait for everyone else to come online. Number 1. Sleepaway Camp 3, Teenage Wasteland, 1989, directed by Michael A. Simpson. Angela Baker is back. She kills and takes the identity of a girl named Maria to attend a camp that invited high-income and low-income kids as some form of social experiment. It happens to be the same camp from the last movie. Angela kills everyone but one couple that she lets go. They attack Angela. Angela ends up in an ambulance where she continues killing. Angela Baker is the killer. If you haven't already, I recommend checking out the first sleepaway camp. I don't remember loving the second one. I watched the first two about four years ago before Blank is the Killer was even a thing. Sleepaway Camp 3 is a decent slasher. It's got a colorful cast of characters. There's pervy old man, teenage girl who's into wrinkly old man, a dude always bumping tunes, a lovable jock, a tag crazy bleached blonde boy, and a racist rich girl, among others. Racism was expected, I suppose. Rich racist girl drops a hard R, so Angela raises her up a flagpole and drops her on the hard ground. This was definitely my favorite kill in the movie. A lot of time is spent showing Angela hoist up Richie Racist, which emphasized that the drop was in fact a doozy. There are other decent kills that include a lawnmower, double axe pendulum, and a jeep. Practical gore galore. Most of it looks good enough. Richie Racist isn't the only racist. Riff. The dude Richie Racist spews hate towards also spews his own hate towards a Latino camper. At least Angela's not racist. She kills people regardless of race. Besides the racist remark, I liked Riff quite a bit. He's the dude who's always got his trusty boombox by his side. What's he blaring on that thing? Repetitive yet catchy beats. My favorite character in the entire movie is Bobby, the jock. He's an awkward, wholesome dude. Well until he tries to get handsy with Angela. Damn it, Bobby. Angela and Bobby are tied together as a bonding exercise, and he says she's nice and asks her if she thinks he's nice, to which she replies yes. He then reveals that being tied up is his kink and tries to put on the moves. He should have definitely confirmed consent before the move making, but as soon as Angela says she's not into it, he backs off. He does say, what's the matter, I thought girls like you are always into it. Damn it, Bobby. I'm trying my best to defend you. 
He does come off as more of a socially awkward idiot than a predator. He politely asks different tables if he can sit with them and is constantly shut down. He gets sad when another guy graffitis his map. Normally the Jot character is a cocky douchebag at all times, so Bobby being mostly wholesome was a breath of fresh air. One of the counselors is a cop whose son was murdered previously by Angela. He says no one has a recent picture of what she looks like. There had to have been at least one picture of her from her time as a camp counselor. Everyone knows Angela Baker was the killer. How do you not recognize your son's killer? Cops sure are dumb. The weirdest thing in the whole movie is pervy old man hooking up with a girl who may or may not be 18. The girl whose identity Angela steals was 17, so it's definitely possible that the girl who welcomed a weird old creep's advances was also underage. Thankfully Angela kills them before too much gross old man hanky panky happens. I had my money on her killing Snowboy, the dude that loved to tag stuff for her first victim. He was killed in the second round of murders. Not too bad a guess I suppose. Pamela Springsteen, the boss's sister, came back to play Angela in the third movie for the second time. I wonder if Felissa Rose, Angela from the original, was ever considered to play grown-up Angela. Two came out five years after the first one. Filming started four years later, so I think Rose could have worked. Pamela Springsteen brings a much more chipper vibe to the character that's fun to watch. Do I think she's a good actor? Definitely not. Do I think anyone in Sleepaway Camp 3 is? Not really. The bad acting is beneficial in making the movie funnier though. Sleepaway Camp 3 Teenage Wasteland is a competent slasher. It does lull a bit once Angela is tasked with disposing of some trash, but for the most part it's full of kills. Consider checking out the series. Turns out there's another movie that was released in 2008. Felissa Rose reprises her role as Angela Baker. I have negative expectations for a fourth one that was released 20 years later, but I might check it out in the future. Number 2, Host, 2020, directed by Rob Savage. A group of friends, Haley, Emma, Gemma, Caroline, Teddy, and Radina, hold a seance over Zoom led by Salen, an experienced seancer. Teddy dips in the beginning. Gemma makes up a fake person. Something happens to Salen. The girls start seeing things. Haley calls Salen. Gemma reveals that she made up the person she said contacted her. Salen says this allowed a demon to use the fake identity to come into our world. The demon kills everyone. The demon is the killer. You could also blame Gemma, Haley, and Salen for the deaths. Salen did not communicate how important it was to take the seance seriously. Salen might have lived. You see something fall towards her before her connection is cut, then she's reachable by phone later. I'm assuming she was killed and the demon impersonated her on the phone. Host is a movie that's trying to capitalize on the quarantine situation. It does a pretty decent job of portraying the times when it comes to using Zoom and dealing with the pandemic. There are two groan-inducing inclusions though. People are being murdered by a demon. Gemma decides to go to Haley's house to check on her. Before leaving her house, that may or may not have a demon in it, Gemma slowly puts on a mask. She then runs outside. No one is putting on a mask in a highly stressful demon situation, but if they do, at least make sure their nose isn't sticking out. 
The mask has nothing on the biggest groan-inducing moment. Gemma makes it over to Haley's place. She finds out Haley is still alive. Upon seeing each other, they bump elbows. <sighs> yeah. A bunch of our friends were brutally murdered by a demon minutes ago. But don't forget, we can't shake hands or hug because of the virus. COVID is the least of y'all's worries right now. One thing that is always unbelievable in a lot of found footage scenarios is people continuing to film when the crap hits the fan. Host is no exception. Put the laptops and or cell phones down when a demon is attacking you. That's another thing that bugged me. Laptops would change into phones whenever it became convenient for the plot. Need to go into the attic so that you can do a grudge style scare. Laptop is way too clunky. We've retconned your laptop into a phone. Just slap that sucker onto a selfie stick so we can rip off the grudge. Wait, the attic scare also happened in the new The Invisible Man. Host not only steals the attic peak, it also steals the throw something, in this case flower, around the room so that you can see the invisible entity. Damn y'all, The Invisible Man just came out. Now that I realize that multiple scares were stolen from a movie that came out months before, I feel pretty weird about it. The timely references show that the host was made after The Invisible Man came out. Another weird thing about host is Haley and Gemma's relationship. Haley despises Gemma. We never learn why she hates her so much. If Haley hates her for not being serious, why did Haley invite her to a seance? Where everyone has to be serious. It's confusing to have characters named Emma and Gemma in your movie. The bits where Haley uses a Polaroid camera to flashlight around her dark apartment was pretty dumb considering everyone has a flashlight on their phone these days. I guess Host wanted to rip off Rear Window in some fashion along with The Invisible Man. Despite my issues with Host, I had a fun time watching it at midnight with all the lights turned out in my apartment. I rarely ever set the right atmosphere for horror movies these days. I really dug the jump scare where you see Caroline's face smashed into her computer through her Zoom background. I would have preferred it if Host only showed that one smash and let the audience assume she was killed by it because she does come back to headbang some more accompanied by some ill-fitting sound effects that didn't sell the face smashing. The acting for the most part is pretty decent. Most of the girls were great at crying and acting scared. Haley was a bit stiff and I couldn't stop thinking about her small resemblance to Renona Ryder. Teddy was probably the worst actor but he wasn't awful. The demon looked pretty good. It was shown a little too much when it was lighting Teddy on fire. There isn't any gore that blew me away, but the included gore does its job and looks fine. My favorite thing about Host? The runtime. The movie is only about an hour. You can argue that more time would have helped me care more about the characters, but for this simple demon is summoned during a Zoom call plot, I think the runtime was perfect. Consider checking out Host if you're looking for a spooky little movie in the same vein as the Unfriended series that's way more competent. I'll probably forget the entire thing in two weeks, but hey, given the current situation, there aren't a ton of new movies coming out. You might as well check out Host. One last thing, why did Rodina kick her boyfriend out of the kitchen so she could do a Zoom call? 
He had an actual reason to be in the kitchen. He was cooking. Go chat with your friends in another room, jerk. Number 3, Sector 7, 2011, directed by Ji Hoon Kim. A Korean team is working on an oil rig in Sector 7. A woman referred to as Hardass is there looking for information about her dad who died there mysteriously. The team hasn't found any oil, but has found some weird sea creatures. Hardass's uncle, Zhang Man, arrives and the team finds oil. A creature starts killing the crew. It's revealed that Hardass's dad was killed by the little creatures after he and her uncle found out they could burn them for energy. Uncle Jiang Man reveals he made a big version of the creature that's killing everyone. He also reveals that he pushed a lady causing her death. Everyone but Hardass dies. Hardass defeats the creature and escapes the exploding oil rig. Uncle Jiang Man and sea creatures are the killers. I saw Sector 7 compared to Underwater, a movie I completely dug. Sector 7 doesn't hold a candle to Underwater. Sector 7 is an hour and 40 minutes. At multiple points in the movie, I thought it was going to end. It felt like it was going on forever. It drug on so much that I assumed I had read the length wrong. It must actually be 140 minutes. Nope, it was an hour and 40 minutes. The pacing is horrendous. We spend 10 minutes talking about scars. We spend 10 minutes watching Hardass and her boyfriend drive motorcycles around on the rig with the help of bad CGI. At the end, Hardass fights back and forth with the CGI abomination that is the monster for a painstaking 20 minutes. Their battle is in no way exciting. Even though the creature is CGI, it's kind of a neat design. It looks like a demented tardigrade. Throughout the movie, it's burned and beat to the point where it becomes this skinless, moving pile of bones. I did enjoy all the bone-crunching sound effects that were used whenever the monster moved. Besides CGI being vomited all over the place, one of the characters ends up with a swollen, gross lip after being stung by one of the smaller creatures. The bulging lip looked practical and disgusting. There's not much gore in Sector 7. The goofball character does get a sharp tentacle tongue through his head. That's the extent of the gore. The movie starts off with a heavy comedic vibe which didn't continue once the monster starts killing people. The goofball is still a bit goofy but the tonal whiplash is severe. Sector 7 probably would have benefited from keeping the comedy throughout. The acting was hammy. Whenever an emotional scene was happening it felt like a soap opera. One thing that I did appreciate about Sector 7 is the fact that the main character's name is Hardass. Well, at least for the first 30 minutes, then they use her real name, which I ignored. Once a hardass, always a hardass. Uncle Zhang Man being the evil genius behind the creature didn't really change anything. By the point you find out it's all his fault, everyone still has to work together to defeat the creature. Uncle Zhang Man is yelled at for all of two seconds and everyone is like, well, we still have to work together to stay alive. The reason the creature was created was to be a new source of energy. If one of the little creatures was lit on fire, it would burn for 30 plus hours. The big creature is lit on fire multiple times throughout the movie, but it never stays lit. You're a big failure, Uncle Jiang Man. I did find the oil rig to be a neat setting for a horror movie. It's such an isolated location that it almost feels like the crew is on a spaceship. Sector 7 is more like a 
bad alien ripoff than it is an underwater contemporary. Don't bother with Sector 7. Watch Alien or Underwater instead. Turns out 80% of the movie was shot against green or blue screens. Meant even more than I thought. The CGI backgrounds looked the worst during the motorcycle fun times. I really should have watched The Host instead of Sector 7. Number 4, Werewolves on Wheels, 1971, directed by Mikkel Levisk. A biker gang runs into a Satanist cult. The Satanists turn a biker named Helen into a werewolf. She then infects her boyfriend Adam. Helen and Adam transform into werewolves and kill some of their own gang. Taro, the leader of the gang after Helen and Adam are killed in self-defense, takes the gang back to where the Satanist cult is to get revenge. The bikers fight the Satanists until they see they were part of the cult all along. Werewolf Helen and Adam are the killers. You can blame the Satanists, but all they did was give the bikers bread and wine. They also cast a spell on Helen, but if the bikers hadn't come around and messed with the cult, none of this would have happened. I don't remember the bikers fighting the cult then stopping because they saw themselves in the cult. I do remember them fighting. Werewolves on Wheels ends very abruptly. None of that summary is important. Here's the true story of Werewolves on Wheels. It's about the forbidden romance between Adam and Taro, the two characters that easily have the most sexual tension between them. In the beginning of the movie, Adam kisses a cowboy square on the lips after the cowboy causes one of the bikers to fall off his bike. Adam then says that the cowboy was a great kisser. This is all the proof I need that Adam is not actually in love with Helen and only has eyes for Taro. He was trying to make Taro jealous with the cowboy kiss. The two fight throughout the movie and Adam is terrible and abusive to Taro. At one point Taro is having a panic attack so to remedy the situation Adam tackles him. You can do so much better than Adam, Taro, you sweet summer child. Taro is named Taro because he always wants to read people's fortune using a deck of tarot cards that look like he drew them with crayons. I actually like the tarot card illustrations quite a bit. Taro is definitely the hippie of the group. He's a great character. Another interesting character is named Movie. Movie is the third person in the gang to mysteriously die. The gang finds his melted sunglasses and decides that's enough proof that he's dead. None of the gang members are really shaken up by the deaths of their comrades. Adam does say, We all know we're going to die, baby. We're gonna crash and burn. During the funeral for the couple that dies first, Adam does a bump of coke to get the energy to finish the eulogy he's in the middle of, and then everyone throws beer cans on top of their graves. That sounds like a great funeral to me, actually. I'd say do that with my corpse, but I'd prefer no money at all being spent on dead me. Throw my carcass in the nearest dumpster and burn it up, or whatever. For a movie called Werewolves on Wheels, you only see one werewolf in werewolf form on wheels. If you refer to someone that transforms into a werewolf as a werewolf, even when it's not a full moon, then I guess there are technically two werewolves on wheels. I wish this movie would have taken off. There are so many types of wheels. Think about it. Werewolves on Wheels 2, X Games. Werewolves on skateboards, rollerblades, BMX bikes, sick tricks. Now that would have been a hit. As far as the acting goes, it's a mixed bag. 
Turns out a lot of the bikers weren't actors and were just being followed around by a camera crew. This makes sense since there's a part where the gang goes to a gas station and the owner looks legitimately annoyed by the bikers antics. Turns out he was persuaded to be in the movie which could mean anything. Severn Darden played the lead Satanist. I hated his performance. He drew out everything he said like he was Stevie from Malcolm in the Middle. The bread the Satanists give the bikers didn't look appetizing at all. It looks even less appealing when they dip it in what looks like ketchup at best and red paint at worst. The werewolf makeup looks better than I expected, but there isn't a decent transformation scene or anything. Werewolves on Wheels isn't worth your time unless you want to watch a group of bikers ride around for 30 minutes, then lay around for another. It can be fun with some drinks and friends, but other movies are a lot better for that. Number 5, The Last Will and Testament of Rosalind Lee, 2012, directed by Rodrigo Godinho. Leon goes back to his estranged mother's house after she passes. He finds out she bought all the antiques he was selling. In the house, Leon deals with his internal demons with the help of Anna, a woman he calls. Leo's mother killed herself due to loneliness after Leon rejected her faith and cut her out of his life. No one is the killer. Suicide doesn't put someone on the killer list. I put The Last Will and Testament of Rosalind Lee, which I'll refer to as Last Will, on my list of movies weeks ago. Around the same time I added Last Will, I added a bunch of horror comedies. So I went into Last Will thinking it was from a horror comedies you haven't seen list. Oops. Last Will isn't intentionally a comedy at all. I did find it a bit funny when Leon was on the phone with a robotic sounding man who was helping Leon get access to security cam footage from outside the house. That whole interaction should have been scrapped. Leon sees a demon creature outside and checks the footage to confirm he saw the creature. The creature is shown later on in the movie. The footage serves no purpose. If Robotic Man would have confirmed he also saw the creature, then sure, have that whole sequence. But since Robot Man is randomly cut off, don't even bother including it. Besides the security cam phone call, the only other sequence in Last Will that didn't work at all for me was when the demon creature sneaks into Leon's bed as he's sleeping and plants a wet little peck on his cheek. Okay, it was more of a lick. My problem with this sequence is that the demon creature is front and center for way longer than it should be. Barring this part, the demon creature is always bathed in shadows, which makes it legitimately creepy. You never want to show your creature for a prolonged period of time. This goes double for when it's CGI. The CGI creature doesn't look all that bad. I'd say it looks pretty darn good when it's in the shadows. No CGI demon creature is going to be scary after you show it crawl into bed and lick the main character's face while completely unobscured. If you cut out human robot phone man and snuggle up to you demon tonguing, Last Will is solid. I do have one more thing I didn't like and that was Ghost Mom at the end. I have no issues with Ghost Mom showing up in the window at the end, but the effects used to make it happen looked rough. Why not just have the actor stand in the window? Gripes are now out of the way. Last Will is fantastic at setting up the atmosphere. Huge chunks of the movie have Leon's mom reading her Last Will and Testament playing over top. Vanessa Redgrave played Rosalind Lee and her narration is great. 
I really enjoyed listening to her talk as we slowly moved around her creepy house. Since she bought all of Leon's antiques, it's filled with a bunch of weird and spooky stuff. Leon was played by Aaron Poole. I'm watching a lot of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, so I have to note that Aaron Poole, in Last Will, looks like Mac and Dennis's love child. I just found out Poole not only played Leon, but also played Robot Surveillance Expert Man. That would explain why that conversation didn't flow naturally at all. He saw it as Leon and terrible as Surveillance Boy. Leon doesn't talk all that much, which I really enjoyed. The lack of dialogue amplified the eerie tone of Last Will. None of the scares in Last Will feel cheap. There's a dread-inducing statue that Leon finds in a secret basement. Leon watches an old VHS tape that stars the statue. In the statue's big debut, it opens its eyes. That's unsettling. Seeing that makes Leon believe the statue can come to life, which leads to some spooky stuff. Do I think Last Will is for everyone? Nope. Do I recommend it to certain people? Yep. If you are a horror fan that's looking for a slow, atmospheric horror film, consider checking out The Last Will and Testament of Rosalind Lee. Number 6, The Host, 2006, directed by Bong Joon-ho. After toxic chemicals are poured into the Han River at the behest of the U.S. military, a creature appears and goes on a rampage. Gong-du helps to find the creature and gets its blood on his face. Gong-du's daughter, Hyun-seo, is taken by the creature and assumed dead. A U.S. soldier that came in contact with the creature appears to be infected with the virus. Gong-du, his father and his siblings, Nam-ju and Nam-il, are quarantined. Gong-du receives a call from Hyun-seo that reveals she's alive in a big sewer. The family tries to get the police to help, but they won't do anything. The family breaks out of quarantine to search for Hyun-seo. The father is killed by the creature during the search. Gong-du is captured again. His siblings get closer to finding Hyun-seo. There doesn't appear to be a virus. Gong-du escapes. The government is releasing a chemical called Agent Yellow to kill the creature. Gong-du tracks the creature and pulls Hyun-seo and a boy that was with her out of it after it's stunned. Hyun-seo is dead, but the boy is alive. Gong-du and his siblings work together to kill the creature. Some time passes. Gong-du is living with the boy who survived. They ignore the news, explaining the incident. The creature and the government are the killers. I'm putting the government on the list because it definitely looked like Agent Yellow killed some people. I remember attempting to watch The Host in my high school days and not getting very far into it. I want to say I stopped watching it because I was looking for a schlocky creature feature at the time, which The Host is not. Since my initial watch attempt, Bong Joon-ho has become an Academy Award winning director. After seeing Parasite, I realized that I had seen quite a bit of his work. Barking Dogs Never Bite, Mother, and Tokyo. He did a segment in the latter, which is an anthology. I liked Barking Dogs Never Bite and Mother quite a bit. I had a big Korean film phase. I can't remember why. Maybe Old Boy was the jumping off point for that. Here's something that's going to lose me some clout. I wasn't a huge fan of Parasite. Did I think it was masterfully crafted, well acted, and painfully relevant? You betcha. I just didn't walk away enjoying it as much as I thought I would. 
Maybe I had hyped it up too much and would enjoy it more after a second viewing. The host left me feeling the same way. Is the host a good movie? I mean, yeah, the performances are strong, the directing is phenomenal. It's astounding to me that those aspects coming together can make me truly sad for characters I've only known for 15 minutes. The monster design is incredible, and even though this creature and the one in Sector 7 have similarities, the effects and thought put into the host's creature are streets ahead. I barely have any technical qualms, some of the sound mixing seemed a bit off to me, but I believe all of what I found odd was done purposefully to heighten the chaotic atmosphere that's created when an unworldly creature makes its debut. Part of why I didn't enjoy the host as much as I'd like to is not the movie's fault. We're in the middle of the COVID pandemic right now. A big plot point in the host is that anyone who was near the creature is possibly infected with a highly contagious virus. A lot of the fear and inept response mirror what's currently happening. An obvious theme of the host is that the US is kinda a bunch of jackasses. That's a very surface level theme, but I can't argue with it being correct. Watching the host in the current time just reminded me about how much stuff sucks. I dwell on that enough already. I don't need a movie to remind me. The host is a downer. The dad dies, the daughter ends up dying. It is a bit strange that the daughter and kid she's with aren't shown as being completely exhausted from starving in the sewer, but that's a nitpick. These kids aren't going to have the energy to climb a rope they made by tying clothes together to leave the sewer. Current times made it impossible for me to enjoy the host. There's no doubting that it is in fact a good movie, but I can't recommend checking it out right now. I'll revisit it in a decade or something. The whole being commanded to dispose of chemicals incorrectly by the US military thing actually happened. <sighs> the US really is the Florida of the world. Number 7, Halloween Kills, question mark, question mark, question mark, directed by David Gordon Green. I've never been the biggest fan of the Halloween franchise. I find Michael Myers a bit boring. Thing is, I would love to watch a brand new big budget horror movie in October. Too bad that's not happening. Universal pulled the release of Halloween Kills. Let's face it. Theaters aren't going to be opening for quite some time. I wouldn't be surprised if people aren't raring to go to the theater a year from now. What I'm trying to say is Universal, release the dang movie on VOD. Give the people something they can enjoy during these depressing ass times. I bet the movie would make crazy profit. I guarantee people that would never be willing to actually go to the theater to see Halloween Kills would rent the crap out of it on VOD just to have something new and exciting to watch for Halloween. I miss going to the theater, but if we're being realistic, theaters aren't going to be profitable until a vaccine is out. Release Halloween Kills on VOD on Halloween 2020. That's a wrap on Blank is the Killer, 77, Camper Kills, Death Hosting, and Lycan Bikers. These Topic 7s sure are getting shorter and shorter. Sorry about that. If you dug what you heard, consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes. That would be neat. The next episode of Blank is the Killer will be out on August 23rd. My current plan is to watch both of the La Llorona movies. I might record a parody of my Sharona with lyrics about La Llorona. 
Turns out that's been done, but the one I just pulled up kind of sucks. Anyways, catch y'all next time. Until then, take seances seriously or face the wrath of a possible ghost clown.